Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to An Abundant Future with Matt Powers. My guest tonight is Darren Doherty. He's about to call me from France, where he is teaching a Rex course. And we're going to dive into what this is. This is something advanced. This is farm planning. This takes it, you know, permaculture, you know, permaculture design really is about you know, our site design for our homes. It's not really commercial. It's not designed for industrial kind of sized things. But Darren has designed a system that is. And it takes permaculture, uses permaculture with lots of other systems, lots of other ideas like holistic management, takes permaculture design and puts it in a new space. It's amazing. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to talk to Darren about that. Here we go. It is such a pleasure to have you on here, Darren, because you really provided me with such a strong impetus to dive deeper last last time we were together, which was at Permaculture Voices 3, I believe. Yeah, Permaculture Voices 3. And it, it really hasn't stopped. And you're on this journey to bring that complexity, that commercial level thinking, farm scale level thinking. Um, to the regenerative world and it's it's incredible to watch your work I'm excited to to promote your course and 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 my, my work really leads up to your work um, and I'm trying to bring people to to your uh, your perspective and also to your classes <laughs> so this is wonderful to have you on here uh, most people probably don't know um, what regrarians do where it came from the whole backstory so why don't we just start at the beginning um and in my mind that might be you know growing up on that on a particular farm <laughs> yeah well that's a that is a good question i've been asked it before and really you're right i mean we all have our backstories which lead us up to a point i'm 50 in october so uh, it's a it's a increasingly long story but really the there's moments and um, I, when I did the first um, big, the biggest presentation I've ever given was when I got the honor of doing the uh, the main stage of Bioneers <clears throat> and that was the first time that I gave the story of of Regrary, of the Regrarians platform and um, as a preface to that um, that that uh, 17 minutes of, uh, of 102 slides um, was the uh, my acknowledgement of my grandparents, uh, my maternal grandparents, and my and my late father. And um, I started by talking about um, my late father, because my late father, uh, who I never met, it was I was only three months old, four months old when he was killed in Vietnam. So I'm a um, I've, I've got a very strong outcome of American foreign policy um, in that that war which occurred, um, which was in my mind still an unlawful war, caused uh, the person who is half of me um, to uh, to be killed before I even knew him, and uh, to be taken away from my mother, um, who never got to enjoy um, the, the time that she wanted to have with her childhood sweetheart. So what that resulted in was uh, 
I was living on my grandparents' farm um, with my twenty just turned twenty one month year old mother, and when my father was killed, um, I was born in October sixty seven. He was killed in February sixty eight. Um, my mother, um, as you can imagine, a twenty one year old girl, really young adult, um, living at home still on the family farm with a brand new baby, the love of her life is gone. And where does she turn to? She turns to her parents. And so, um, so we spent a few years living there before mum got remarried. And my nana was 44 when I was, when I was born and my grandfather was uh, about 48, I think. And so they were both relatively young. I was their first grandchild. They had eight kids of their own, and they'd have a pretty rough life. Um, you know, granddad grew up through the Depression and blah, 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 and so did Nana was at the end of that. And um, they they were both people who were really... They were the kind of people who, if you described permaculture to, they said, we've been doing that for years. Um, and I'd say, well, yeah, but <laughs> you weren't doing it by design, and they and they got that because they were both clever people. And um, you know, when I talked to them about it later on, when I was introduced to permaculture, like most people, you it's um, it's this big thing that that falls upon you. And um, so when I talked to them about that, they said, oh yeah, we've been doing that for years. And I said, well, yeah, somewhat, but not by design. Um, you're doing it by common sense and by the transfer of this is what you do from your parents and your grandparents and so on. So, but it did give me a lot of foundation. And um, if you read the first chapter of our book, um, the Regarian's Handbook, um, the first section in that book is uh, regenerative design and living principles. And the first set of principles that I have are those that are a list of the um, axioms that my grandparents gave me, um, which are, are quite a few. And that was my foundation into all of this. Um, Granddad had laid out, Nana, Nana was a fantastic um, home economist, not by training, but just by, by the way she was brought up herself. And she raised eight children on the farm. Um, Granddad was the second youngest of, seven, of 22 children. Wow. We grew up on the same farm. Uh, my nana, my great nana, <coughs> who, um, uh, so my grandfather lost his mother when she was four, um, when, she, when my great uncle Tommy was born, his younger brother. And um, yeah, 17, 17 of those children grew to a minimum of 86 years of age. Um, the oldest lived till 99. So, and they lived in a three bedroom house. Um, uh, <laughs> if you can imagine <laughs> so granddad would tell me stories of um, <laughs> all of these kids were stacked in everywhere but they got a lot of work done because they had a lot of labour yeah. he was raised by his he was raised by his older sisters who were nearly adults by the time he came along but anyway um, but so you know proper... when, when you deal with people in that volume you develop really de well. You, you have well-developed social principles, and yeah. those principles yeah. in that section of that book completely changed a huge part of my book and added many pages. But 
the social principles that I had never seen that in permaculture in any of the permaculture, they talk about people care, but there's no social principles. And so I, that really, really inspired me. Um, so everyone should get that book and get that chapter. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm glad you said that. I haven't really talked to that. No one's really picked that up. I mean, for me, it was a very, it was a very important piece to sort of say in a, in a few ways, and I'll come back to your first question in a moment. But it was sort of like saying, look, permaculture is not the only. The people who've developed and worked in permaculture are not the only people who are working on all of this grander regenerative project, you might say. Um, there's or regenerative work, as you said. Um, there's there's a lot of people who've been working in this space who have never even heard of permaculture, but um, but have, and have come up with some really solid principles. And um, so, why not look at them? Um, why not be informed by them? Why why keep your keep your worldview um, influenced by a, a set of just 12 principles and three ethics um, when there's lots of other fantastic people who've come up with stuff independently. But, um, and so, yeah, and so that's for me, I mean, permaculture in my lineage, as it were, um, didn't come along until quite late. So, um, so I spent nearly every holiday, um, I'd have to say, because I got along very well with my grandfather and I much to the chagrin and possibly of a lot of my cousins, I was clearly his favourite because we just got along so well. Um, and he used to, and it was a bit embarrassing sometimes because I'd be there with my cousins working because we were all sent out there to work. Um, and, and and I was always I was I, I was always voluntary for me. Some of my cousins they didn't like it; they resented it a bit, but I loved it. And um, but he would. He would favour me over my cousins a bit embarrassingly at times. Like um, he'd say when we were doing wood, which we did a lot of um, for the fire or the fires, um, we'd um, like we'd have six foot billets of timber that we'd got from the forest over the road, and it, they were um, they were very heavy. I can I, I think I've still got back problems from from my teenage years <laughs> from. from Hulking these six to seven foot long billets of nearly one foot diameter trees that were over um, over eleven to fifteen hundred kilograms per cubic meter. So you put that in perspective, an oak is about eight hundred kilograms per cubic meter. So they were heavy bits of wood. And my cousin, one of my cousins, who I won't name, um, he used to granddad used to say, "Look, Darren's a lot stronger." leave it alone right and he, he was he was just as strong as I was but you know it was sort of a bit embarrassing but anyway um, <laughs> I'm sort of rambling as I remember those times but granddad used to sit with me um, and and it's really interesting when he died um, I spoke to a lot of my relatives and I talked about a lot of the things he said to me and, he, and they go oh he never said that to me or oh he never he never talked to me and that's what they'd say. And he always used to talk to me. We used to always have very private times. And, and um, yeah, I think you must have seen something in me to, to show. And, and Lisa, my wife, says that um, he was very hard on his own children. And when I'd come along, it was sort of like his next chance because he'd lived a hard life. 
a lot of this, you know, a lot of um, corporal punishment, all that sort of stuff that went with that age and that era. None of which I suffered, um, which was great. So I got I got the intellectual that he was that he never showed to anyone else, and I also got all of these rural skills which he just delighted in showing me because you know, I because I was there ready for this to listen. So we had a really great relationship, and that was a that was a really great foundation. And then my nana, who I also had a fantastic relationship with, she was like my mother. Because my my mother was very very young when she had me, and um, and strongly affected by my father's passing. Um, my nana, I used to sit with my and my earliest memory is uh, my earliest memory is with my nana sitting up in front of the fire, um, smelling the soap. It's this it's an organoleptic memory um, in that I it's just I can smell the um, homemade soap that we made from the fat of the beasts that we killed. Um, regularly that's um, amazing and that, that's the, my first memory and it's the and whenever we were in front of the fire i mean that fire that earth um that we had was really symbolic of all of the you now we lived opposite a forest we went to that forest and we harvested our timber as a family we then cut on the saw bench we'd all try and outdo each other as children to get the biggest stack of firewood wow. in the wheelbarrow um, we'd all try and outdo each other by saying, by showing Nana how well we'd stack the timber in the timber store and bringing it into her. And, and it's funny because Granddad, Granddad did one last big. Well, he, he was into doing things one last time because he he thought, oh, well, I'm going to peg out soon or something. And uh, we go over. The, we went over to the forest as a family, and we we got what he thought was going to be the last lot of firewood he'd ever need. It was about 20 years before he died. <laughs> it was a big pot, <laughs> and um, yeah, we went over and got it, and um, came back, and he said, "Oh, that should do me out." And, I, and um, but then when we got to the end, he said, "By gee, that woman can burn wood," <laughs> <laughs> which she did. Um, the fire in the kitchen was um, was always on. And um, the fire up the front in the front room, which he'd go to bed early and she'd sit up with me or by herself and read. And um, so I'd sit with her and keep that. That was a real, the, the, the stove was efficient, but the front fire was, it, it was just such an inefficient fire. <laughs> and it was burn. And our wood in Victoria is amazing. It's some of the best fire burning wood in the world. But even this, even that wood would burn in ten minutes. You know, <laughs> so we went through a lot of wood. But um, so we all, so we had a, we had a, you know, Nana, Nana was a really good um, home manager. She reused everything. And as I gave a talk on carbon farming in Spain in 2010, where I was the keynote alongside Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and Daryl Hammer, the actress. And um, I gave it, I thought, oh, I really don't want to give a sort of a stump speech. So I, and it wasn't long after my grandfather died and I was missing him and my nana was getting old and she was in a home and blah, blah. And so I gave this talk about about them, which I've got on my website, and it's um, and it was about this the soup that they had, and how the soup was to me a real reflection of the um, the regenerative basis to all of this. Is in that 
that soup that was on that stove, it was the same stove that my great-grandmother had, and, um, and for, for all intents and purposes, it was the same soup, because that was a very early, a lot of Australian families, and I'm sure people in the US and Europe um, would have had a hearth, or had a hearth, and on that hearth was a big pot, because, um, you know, we didn't have thermomixes and all of that sort of BS like we have these days. Kitchens were pretty simple. And so you had a big pot and you had a fire and you just kept putting things in it. <laughs> and we had one of those. And that soup, um, um, well, that soup required us to keep the fire going in the middle of summer, in the middle of winter, whenever it was. And, and so it required an interaction with, with sunlight, um, with the forests and with our own hands because in a lot of cases we use just axes. I'm, a, I'm very good with axes um, because of what my grandfather taught me um, in cutting trees with axes and felling them and splitting them with wedges and, you know, hammers and all that. And, um, and then of keeping that fire going, but then of also keeping the food supply that's going into that uh, pot and the security that that gave you as a family, that no matter how how poorly your economic circumstances with your true, you know, your economic circumstances by the true use of that word or the true definition of that word and its, and its etymology is that, you know, the home economy is, is taken care of and that you, you have an enormous security that comes from that. And um, that, to me, was very powerful having that that pot you knew that you know no matter how what our circumstances were that pot was always there and it always tasted the same <laughs> um, <laughs> and you'd find bits in there you get to the bottom of your bowl and there'd be these ident- unidentifiable bits <laughs> because she put everything in there bones and all sorts of stuff um, and they just whittle away and fritter away until um and it was a very sad day when the farm was finished and it was sold out of the family and the fire was turned out. Oh, wow. And therefore, so, you know, that's... Symbolic. Yeah, it is. It is. And I'm, and I'm, I'm um, slightly teary as I sit here at 10 past 6 in the morning or 20 past 6 in the morning um, thinking about that because it's, uh, it's those sort of moments in life that, uh, that are really pivotal. And, um, and that's what I wanted I suppose answer your question by saying that um, you know we all have different experiences as young people and um, and then we have further set of experiences as as uh, young adults and then throughout life and um, yeah that those experiences then were, were pretty well set me up for what I do now and for how I I think the jobs should be done properly um, you know this whole get hashtag get, get it done you know when I first saw that that whole thing I thought well I'm not about getting shit done <laughs> want to get like, good I, things done oh exactly I mean that's that's the that's the you know getting shit done it means to me that you're getting shit done like not you're just getting stuff done it means that you're actually getting shit done um, and you know we really don't ask owe ourselves or the future or the energy that we, uh, in, in the inordinate amount of energy that we now um, embody in everything that we do, we owe it to all of that to not do shit. 
we owe it to ourselves and all of that and the future to do as good a work as we can and to do it thoroughly and properly because if you don't, I mean, that's the whole basis of my grandparents' generation. I mean, when they bought a tool, you know, that tool, like my granddad's axe, he bought when he with his, some of his first money. His bicycle that he bought was with his first wage that he ever did from his job, and he carried that bicycle until he died, right? Um, the axe that he had was the one axe, whereas now you go to Home Depot and you can get some cheap axe, and um, you don't really value it. Um, or if you do shit work, then you don't value it. Because uh, um, you haven't put the time and consideration into that work such that when you actually go and do it, you do as really, you, you've already got the pain of planning um, and of saving and all of that. And so, but if you go and do it on credit or do it quickly, or you know whatever, um, then I don't think you value it in the same way, and um, and that's reflected in what you actually do. It's so um, it's better that you that you do nothing. In my opinion, it's better that you do nothing at all and just let the grass grow than doing all of this work. So yeah, I think about that. I mean, I'm very, very strongly uh, strong about that, and I don't really care if I bother anybody with that. Um, um, There's been so. a lot of rah, rah, rah instead of character development, yeah. you know, and whatever skills we're bringing, we must bring it with character development, especially now because we've got this dearth of leadership skills, um, yeah. honest integrity, you know, we're missing these, these critical, these critical, um, pillars, uh, to our relationships, our businesses, our economies. So it's, I we, think it's critical. Yeah, yeah we've, we've seen that a lot. I mean, I think the last um, the last few years have been really um, interesting from that perspective um, in, in, the, in how the market in this space has revealed itself and how the players have... Because we're in an era where you can reveal yourself like you never have been able to before because you're able to be seduced by... The, the the ability to be known um, and um, there's never been a better period in in any time in history where to, to be to be known and everyone is their own little micro celebrity now or has the possibility to be a micro or macro celebrity even um, I mean and that's borne out sometimes I've you know I turn on YouTube and I there's a YouTube there and I go, how the hell did that get 7 million views? It's like, what is with people? But they find this interesting. And then I go and look at something, which is yesterday I was looking at some fencing stuff and I saw this guy had got about 500 views. And I said, that guy should have, that guy should be the one who's getting 7 million because someone's patting their cat in a funny way and it's like getting 7 million views. I don't get it. But then... The other thing that's occurred, which was interesting for us, um, we had the re, uh, what used to be known as the Regrarians Facebook group, um, which I think you were a part of, Matt. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people were, and it, it climbed steadily to about twelve or thirteen thousand people, or whomever. Which I, you know, I don't even know what that means because it doesn't mean you get twelve or thirteen thousand people actually interacting. Um, but people will, you know, they'll say, oh, we've reached 13,000. It's like, oh, wow. Yeah. It doesn't actually mean that, mate. <laughs> just yeah. means someone's clicked. They just, they just suffered your clickbait. 
Um, but anyway, um, how that all went down with... Uh, uh, there were some posts about social justice and um, stuff, and there's a lot of people who... Um, there's a bit of a division at the moment globally in, in the intellectual world um, around uh, cultural Marxism and political correctness and all of that, and I get that, and I agree with all of that too. Um, but by the same token, people use social media as a space to to um, to be bullies. And if they have that tendency, and I know because I was a bully when I was a child, um, so I know what being a bully is about, and I know what being bullied is about too. Because um, you know, most of us who most of us have either been bullied or or are bullies or have been bullies and or have been subject to both at the same time. So you see those sort of raw human behaviours come out in those spaces. It really feeds that opportunity. And um, that was born out in that whole period. And that's that's why we took the step of just, of, well, of first of all, pulling our name out of it, which some people thought we were. Well, why in the hell would you have a live market um, of all of these people who are all then potentially customers of yours? Why would you pull pull back from them? And that's something that people don't do anymore. Um, and that says to me that a lot of people don't, um, for me, I was raised that your reputation was everything, and if you and your integrity was everything, because that you know one fed into the other. And, oh yeah. You know, I just I just couldn't stand. I mean, it really, it really like just just the the just the viciousness of people and the the inability of a, a lot of people who are quite well known and went on to set up other sites and blah blah blah. blah. And those, you know, on both sides of the coin, um, that people were just, well, you just wouldn't, I just, I just couldn't stand the way people were speaking to each other. It was revolting. And that, that they, some of those people would then write to us and say, oh, you know, they, they'd sort of show this compassion place, place when they'd write to us and sort of explain themselves. And then they'd get back on board and be an asshole. It was like, oh, really? So, we really did, just didn't want a part of that. And it really came back to us thinking, well, you know, is this a quantity game or is it a quality game? Again, are we getting shit done or are we getting really good stuff done? And so I, um, so I, it, it was, and we'd been talking about it for a while, and Lisa and I and the kids, and we just said, nah, stuff, but we're pulling it out. And um, and then that, uh, I think regenerative agriculture as a group started, and we changed our name to regenerative agrarians, and it sort of continued. And we just thought, bugger at this, we're not, we just don't want to. And we still had our name in the URL, and we thought, no, nah, that's it, we don't need to. So with our Facebook presence now, um, we just have a, a 410 member secret Facebook group and uh, a Facebook page that no one ever seems to like, but whatever. Um, <laughs> we're, we're definitely not um, superstars, if you like, and in this space. And um, But the quality of conversations that we have in our private group, of, I mean, I'd have those any day than, than having 200,000 people just rah rah rahing because that's that's what it is, um, or showing me their pet rabbit. Um, <laughs> so, you know, look, I get that, and I get that whole scene, um, but it's not my scene, and it's not the scene that we're that 
of the people who have sort of naturally gravitated to us who are looking at agricultural, you know, commercial scale or agricultural, larger agricultural scale operations. I should just say commercial scale because they can go down to smaller scale. But your customers, are your customers aren't on Facebook in those groups in all reality. Um, and you're not going to be able to really reach them through those groups, I feel like. Yeah, some of them are. Because um, some people are just built that way. I mean, they're fairly hyperactive and they, they farm with a with a smartphone. Um, and so there are those idle moments where they uh, use their smartphone to check in. Because um, there are idle moments and that's, that's you know, those idle moments are now filled with, with head down into smartphones. So... Um, so it does depend on the personality um, and people, a lot of the people that we work with um, who have that kind of way, um, they use it to build a relationship and a, a narrative with their customer base. So, and that's something we talk about as a strategy. So, and then there's others who can't stand the bloody things um, and uh, just, you know, they'll get on Facebook or whatever begrudgingly once a week. I just, I, I just meant they wouldn't be in the, in the, uh, in the fight. You know what I mean? In the, in the no. argument on there and the negativity, no. they'd be turned off by that. So, yeah. To touch upon this, so you've been in this game longer than the internet heated up. I've been, I've been in, kind of the. All right. So I was a bass player in bands. I was on public TV. I was on national television. Millions of people, like not cable. I'm talking about like Channel Four. So. Yeah. You know, I did that and I would have like limousines picking me up to play bass in a band. It was ridiculous. Um, but I thought that was like great and I and I loved it until well, it, they always make jokes about the bass player and the drum player, don't they? Yeah, but yeah, but the, I didn't care. And um Sting, they're probably exceptions from a bass player's perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And so what happened was you know, I got burned out and then a lot of my friends died. Um, and I just like, I, I, I've tasted that. And I literally walked away from the pinnacle of my career as a musician and went and subbed in one of the poorest areas of America um, so that I could take care of my wife. So I totally, yeah. I, I, I totally recognize that people have um, it going straight to their heads on on Facebook in a lot of, a lot of, a lot of ways, but I do think yeah. that um, there's also this huge turnoff um, and a turnaround that's happening where people are just getting more active at unfollowing, unliking, and choosing wiser feeds and wiser pages to listen to, and we we're we're seeing a lot of more private secret group i mean all my courses have secret groups uh, where they can have a haven to actually communicate with each other openly without feeling like they're going to get attacked and we set that that yeah. tone in our classroom yeah mm -hmm. and it's it's yeah. like it's like we set the clock back 10 years on facebook and suddenly like people aren't jerks and <laughs> So those negative yeah. patterns, they're recent. I mean, we remember a time when that stuff just wouldn't wouldn't happen. So um, it's good to well, hear... You, you, some of the things you'd get a smack in the mouth, right? Um, <laughs> you know, seriously. Um, so there would be some, you know, 
it, it, it's, pro- it's, it's probably fortunate that there is the digital divide <laughs> between devices for, for the way some people, some people behave. I mean, if they were at a table or if they were in a hall or at a pub and they said some of the things that they say, they, they'd, yeah, there'd be consequences that are much greater than um, getting moderated or bumped off. Right. Um, Absolutely. Some, some, of those, some of those consequences would be violence, which some people get excited about, and that, that says a lot about their personality. Um, and then there's other there's other people who would just turn, turn you know, as in our Aboriginal society in Australia, they would turn your their back, which is the worst thing that you can have, you know, from a reputation for someone to completely ignore you. And not give you oxygen um, in Indigenous society in Australia. That's that's what we call turning your back. Turning their back. On. It's um, that's a that's a bad juju. Um, you know, so and um, I keep trying so to we, explain people that's the most powerful way to move on from something. You don't fight it. You abandon it. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I don't want to abandon anyone. It's like, you know, why do we have to go through all of this BS? I'm sure that. You know, a lot of the people that I've had conflicts, and I know, I mean, I've had a few conflicts with people over the, over the years, and they're good, you know, get them in the right circumstances, in the right mood, um, they're de- you know, half-decent people. Um, it's just that sometimes when you put an audience in front of people, um, and, you, you know, you, you would have found this in your um, in your performing life, um, they just, something happens, and they become a different person. Um, they become that show off in, at school again, you know, or that bully at school or whatever, you know, something happens to them that lets them, and it's sad because they're, they're often people who have a lot of value and um, they have insights that perhaps other people don't have. If only that they could turn the old gene off, um, they, they'd be, they'd, they'd serve everyone a lot better. Um, but, you know, when you live in an era where you, where media is dominated by the old gene and the psychopath and the sociopath, um, and that's where you see you being able to get the the followings, um, then you know for some people that seems to work. And yeah, well, anyway, um, you know other parts of my life that have been influential in terms of those those points have been. Um, Growing up on a farm that had a key line layout um, and with lots of water, so we never we never felt like we run out of water. And I, as a kid, I used to run. I, I still love running water, especially in little canals. I get mesmerised by them because it immediately takes me back to my childhood and turning on the opening up the pipe and having the water run down the channel. And then uh, you know, putting a block of soil in the channel, and then watching water run across the field, and then opening up the channel again, and then letting, and then flooding the next bit, and so on. Love all that. And so, but we, did, it wasn't called key line, and I didn't know it was key line until I learned about key line later, because um, ah. there was just a lot of farmers in Australia who did that. Um, that yeoman's influence was um, had got to got to the point where um, in some areas where his work was adopted that people didn't even know its origin, which is, a you know, wouldn't that be great um, huh. as an outcome, you know, that there's an anonymity to the origins of things. And that's how I think that when, when things become vernacularized or ubiquitous, um, 
and I we said that as our when we started our business in 1993 after we'd done our business plan we said that we wanted permaculture to move from being a permaculture design to move from being a uh, marginal methodology to an unconscious practice and um and I still hold that today that you know within within you know our branding of the Regrarians platform or our development of the Regrarians platform I'd like it's a very marginal methodology of methodologies and, and um, I'd like it to become an unconscious practice so that there is a you know this is this is a hammer who knows how the hammer well we know that the hammer started off as a rock and then someone made it into a hammer but no one knows the origins of the hammer right um, and now we use a hammer. Well, great. A hammer is a fantastic tool. Um, I sort of see a lot of, you know, I saw Keyline in that way on our farm. And mm-hmm. um, I also, um, I had an old mate who passed away at his own hands, um, unfortunately, Peter Crutchfield. He uh, lent me a uh, book called, um, as I was about at 18, um, called. Um, um, one straw revolution and um, at that stage like a lot of us you know we were smoking a lot of dope and carrying on but I was living out of my grandparents at the time and I, and I developed a uh, I was just blown away by this book uh, it suited me well because I was smoking pot and I was um, and I was frolicking around in the garden like a bloody little hippie and, <laughs> and not, not impressing my grandfather at this stage and um, and uh, I uh, playing a lot of loud music, <laughs> and and uh, but I built this garden, this Fukuoka style garden, and it was very very impressive. And it was my in my nana's garden, and she she loved it. She loved the fact that I took her garden over, and um, and it grew incredibly well. And we had a cu- I had a couple of uncles who were also were good gardeners and uh, farm gardeners. You know, a lot of farms have gardens, and um, and they came out at Christmas, and they looked at this. They came out, and uh, you know, they always thought I was a bit of a punk, and which is probably reasonable. And <laughs> and, and they come out, and they looked at this garden. And I said, "Bloody hell, what do we got here?" It was it was very impressive, and so that was the first time in my life I'd ever got anything out of good out of my uncles in terms of um, um, acknowledgement. <laughs> So that was good. So that sort of uh, made me think, oh well, there's something in this. But it was the it was the, probably the first book, philosophical book that I'd ever read because I started reading when I was three, and um, and my mother bought me a, a copy of uh, the World Book Encyclopedia, which was my was my book. So I had you know whatever twenty six volumes, and I read that was my I didn't I never I never read any literature at all i just read the world book and books of its ilk um, encyclopedias reference books and so that was another thing that really set me up in having this that i realized that the the world was made up of a huge array of concepts and people and histories and all of the rest of it um and you know you don't you don't get an entry in the in an encyclopedia unless you're exceptional um, and so you get to read about all of these um, ex- exceptional principles or exceptional people, um, 
or exceptional works or outcomes or events. And so that, so the One Straw Revolution was really the first book that really tied a lot of that together because for me, um, because it was, it was written by a microbiologist who was a farmer and a really good farmer, but also a philosopher. And so it was a, yeah, so it was my first sort of inkling into this world of philosophy and, um, and what that can mean. And the, but the bit that I took was the do nothing philosophy, right? <laughs> Being a pot smoking eighteen year old <laughs> hippie type, um, I took that a bit seriously. <laughs> well, I took it in a way that that um, you know wasn't what Fukuoka really meant. I mean, what he meant was that you should let ecosystems do. You, know, you should. Um, what's Warren? Brush's business name. Uh, oh no, it was another guy. Um, I can't remember his name, but anyway, one guy I knew had a business called Trust Nature, um, and it is that you know you just sometimes you just got to trust that nature will do. You know, it's been working all right for a while, so just trust it, and uh, that's a good way to, to proceed. So there was that, and then I did. Um, so I did that, and I started working in, in hospitality when I was about eighteen as well. Um, as a waiter and then as a chef and um, so become involved in the food movement and the local food movement um, and then um, and then I took over the running of a, the local organic shop because I wanted to get out of hospitality because the hours were crap and um, and I didn't really like it I suppose in the end so I took over the local organic shop as a um, as a manager or as the manager <clears throat> and became um, exposed to all of the um, great organic gardeners and farmers that were in central Victoria. It's one of central Victoria in the world of organics is one of the hotspots you might say. And I've been to most of those hotspots around the world. And it's been, it's, it's, uh, you know, one of the, one of the leaders of that, um, Rod May just died two weeks ago, unfortunately. And um, so you know, on a daily basis, I was in contact with these farmers and those farmers would, you know, because I, I was a farmer, so I grew up on a farm and whatnot, so I could talk to them in their language. And um, and I played football and all, you know, all that stuff. So um, I was able to communicate with them and it really it really enlivened the, the two genies in me, I suppose. One was this communication genie and this general knowledge genie, which I'd got from reading encyclopedias as my main book growing up. And then two was um, the actual visceral farming part and that passing of knowledge from one person to another. And so it didn't take very long before um, those farmers that I went out and was sourcing produce from um, that they would say, oh, you've been out to so-and-so's, what, what's he doing or what's she doing about this or how are they doing that and then I basically it was the start of my consulting career because you know, half of what I do now is telling people what someone else has done and how that, that worked for them in their circumstances with their contexts and um, so that and, that and then I started then we had our customers at the um, at the checkout and they'd come up and they'd say oh, and I'd talk to them about the story of this broccoli and the person who's doing it or this fruit juice or whatever because I knew them all 
And um, they said, oh, right. So if I grew an apricot tree, what would I do? And by the so the first clients I had uh, were from that counter. And I'd go out and um, you know, do some pruning work for them or ultimately started doing design work before I even knew about permaculture. Um, and then I remember when I, I think the first time I heard about permaculture was uh, um, I was in one of the organic magazines in Australia. Um, but it was when I bought a copy of The Natural Way of Farming. I think it was that one. It was the middle book, Regaining the Paradise Lost, I think. Well, I can't remember. One of the um, Fukuoka books of the three that he wrote. And there was a picture of Wes Jackson, Fukuoka, and Bill Mollison. I went, oh, who's that character? Because he, he said oh, he's an Australian. I went, oh, okay. And, um, yeah, so I can't quite remember, but um, I got the uh, big black book straight up so what's that 1988 so it was must have been around that time um so i would have been 20 21 and um yeah and i went wow gee this has got a bit to it because it has um and at the same time uh, um i was sort of getting the key line genie was coming out as well um and so a lot of these new books were coming into my life um, these new references and um, I really really um, I was I was the thing that took me with with the permaculture manual was actually Andrew Jeeves illustrations and you know the words of Mollison are great but David uh, Andrew Jeeves's illustrations um, are amazing and uh, that's what you look at first Andrew, you know, that I now work with Andrew and we're good mates and he's working on our project well it's our project and, Gregorian's handbook and um, so it's sort of like you've come full circle um, and the yeoman stuff well the yeoman stuff was great because it was all about that water and it gave me the, the touch with nostalgia of uh, our own farm and, and its underpinnings and uh, and just yeoman's grandness in terms of um, his visions and the fact that he could transform a landscape in the way that he did in what uh, some people call a sort of a mainframe, um, and um, and that his designs, and this is what I noticed pretty early, was that none of the farmers that I was working with, none of the organic farmers, when I went back to them and talked to them about permaculture, they none of them were using permaculture. They saw that it was a very marginal, small-scale, non-commercial thing. And to a large extent, it's remained so, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's um, there's not a lot of traction of permaculture within organic agriculture. Um, and um, so that was interesting. Whereas with Keyline, there was, because Keyline, um, when you got down to it, provided the, the layout, you know, provided the raw layout, provided the water supply, um, provided the position of roads um, and so on, and and it's you know it's no it's no coincidence that both Bill Mollison and David Holmgren you know both admitted um, you know, Bill's past now, but both admitted the huge influence that Yeomans had on them in the, the development of the permaculture methodology, um, particularly when it came to land planning and and water harvesting and all of that sort of thing. So yeah, so all of that. And we opened up our consulting business and um, off we went. Um, consulting and design. Uh, sorry, design and, um, and development. I was talking to a lass here last night about that. 
here in France um, about how valuable that was to us at the, in the early years, um, doing both design and then development and management of those systems that we implemented. And that I was very happy doing that until Bill Mollison tapped me on the shoulder in about 2009 and said, I think it's about time you started teaching. Oh, sorry, 1999, um, years, nearly a decade after we'd started work. Um, and so we've taken the sort of reverse approach of what, uh, what I call the franchise of permaculture, which has largely been that you are, it's recommended that, yes, you go home and garden and you start at your back door and you do all of that stuff, but, yes, that you also go and teach. It's a, there's a recommendation to be evangelical. Um, so it tends to often attract people who are either subject to that or who see themselves as being evangelists. And, um, that doesn't that never sat well with me, and that's one of the reasons why I didn't do it. I just went to work. Did you do a so wait? How many PDCs did you teach? Because you know I don't teach PDCs, right? <laughs> well, I, I didn't. I didn't teach my first PDC. I taught two introduction to permaculture courses in 1994, one with some friends as a sort of a dry run, and then another one we had about 10 people, and I thought, oh, yeah, this is all right. I'm just going to go back to work. I'll make more money doing that, and it's more enjoyable. And I'm with my mates out planting trees and stuff because we had a great team and all that. So... Um, so I didn't, I didn't do my first PDC until 2001 with Bill Mollison. Um, and I shared duties for teaching with him and uh, Janet Millington. And then we did another one in, like, that was early 2001, and then we did another one in later on in 2001. And then I just started getting, as you do, and this is sort of the seduction of permaculture in the way that once you get in, once you, once you open the, the uh, the PDC thing you you get into it. I mean it's and I can see why. I mean it's um, it's relatively easy. I think it's a relatively easy program to deliver. Um, it can be relatively lucrative. Um, you get to meet a lot of people. A lot of back, you know. A lot. Of, a lot of, as, um, I'm just saying, it's it's good for the ego. Um, all of that. Um, so I can see why people would be attracted to teaching and to um, and to the PDC as, as one of those modalities. So I ended up teaching, I think, 42 PDCs between um, 2001 and two, and the last one, which I did, which will be the last one um, um, in 2014. Um, so I won't be, I won't teach any more PDCs. I'm done with them. There are some, there are some PDCs out there which don't promote evangelism and and are very are very good at um, having people build a framework that they can then go and launch from a framework of skills because a lot of them are very hands-on PDCs as opposed to just sitting and listening to a parrot um, parrot someone else's parroting. Um, <laughs> Um, and then there's, then there's, um, yeah. So there are some out there that where I know because I've seen them and I've been involved with them that people have gone on and it's yes, it's only been an, an introduction, but it's been a really solid one and it's directed them in a really positive way. So um, yeah, and, us, and I personally, you know, I, I I took a PDC, I totally loved it, but I saw all these things that it could become, and as this as a teacher. 
working with children, you can't communicate in the same ways that you communicate to adults. And so I immediately saw that permaculture, in order to communicate it to younger audiences, permaculture design as that steps as the permaculture design is a PDC to me. And then permaculture, the concept of just trying to work with nature is the same thing that Fukuoka is trying to do, which is the same thing that regenerative workers are trying to do, which is the same thing that almost everyone that's trying to do better is doing. So in my mind, I, I, I want to pull it away from that. And that's why I don't do PDCs, because I want people to be more creative, to apply it to all aspects of their life, and then also to realize that it's just an introduction. It is not like you, you're you golden and now go and fix the Omaha. You know what I mean? It's, it's the beginning of your real education. And so what was really incredible about writing my most recent book was the way that we were able to graft in all these experts um, on understanding and editing and revising, but also lead right into their programs. And yeah. so I'm not a farm designer. You know, I've, I've worked on a giant garden. I've been on farms. I've read about farms. I've studied them. But I would not say that I'm a farm scale designer. And so yeah. what's so incredible is that we were able to work together and link my program leading up to yours. And yeah. that's what really is, is, is the, the evolution. People see permaculture. It's wonderful. I love permaculture. Design is great. Permaculture is a concept transcends all that. Um, and that's where I'm taking it, really. Um, and what you're doing is taking what all the people have done PDCs need to do next because they need that, that deeper understanding to temper all that enthusiasm in a constructive way so that they can reflect deeper <laughs> and then turn around and create something that's lasting and commercially and socially viable. Yeah, if that's, what, if that's what's important to them. And, um, right. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the, the first, and this is, there's some deficiencies. I mean, one of the reasons why we developed the whole agrarians platform and I wished, of course, I wished I had of it was there in front of me from day one, but I, I missed seeing it. There's a few things, and this is interesting too, I suppose, in that there's a few things that I missed, like the key line scale of permanence. I read about it. I read about it in the Challenge of Landscape when I was 21 or 22. I read it. I, I saw it there, um, but I never, it never like it was there but as a as as the basis to a process well because yeoman's never used it as a basis to a process he only wrote about it once in the um in the challenge of landscape where he introduced it but wow. he just introduced this sort of more of a here here's the way that we roll things out or not he didn't he didn't say this is the way we roll things out he just sort of said all right well this is what it is and then he spoke about it again in the city forest, and that was it. Um, and in and in basically the same way. So there was that. And the other thing that was really critical for me in overlooking, um, and it was really just my ego um, getting in the way, um, was I was at a barbecue with a mate uh, at a mate's in the country town, and we were sitting around drinking. I was probably oh maybe twenty. Well, actually, it was about 1994, so it would have been about 26, 27. 
And uh, there was a young grazier there who was from a big um, property, and he was a mate of my mates. And um, he 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 was there. It was '94 because I did my first PDC in 1990 in November '93. So I was fresh from that and sort of you know pumped and blah blah blah. And this guy had just done his first holistic management course um, with Bruce with the late Bruce Ward, and. Um, and he came, and he was about the same age, and he was similarly. Um, he he was beating the holistic manage, management drum, and I was beating the permaculture drum, and we clashed. And you know, like my methods better than your methods, sort of thing. It was crazy, and a bit of alcohol probably didn't help. But um, yeah, so there was that, and then a few years later, I think it was about. It would, yeah, it was actually probably, yeah, it was the next year. It was 1995, that's right, because I went up and did another, my second PDC with Bill Mollison at his old farm at Tagari, um, at Tyelgan. And as I always do, I went straight to his, li- I, I, first thing I do when I go to someone's property or place is go straight to their library <laughs> and see what their books are. And um, don't, you shouldn't take it as an offence, but um, it's just what I do. <laughs> and um, so I looked at this guy, and, he, and Bill had Bill had an extraordinary library, one of the best I've ever seen, and still. And um, he had a, he had a copy of a book in there called um, Holistic Resource Management, um, Alan Savory's first edition um, of three. And I pulled it out, and Bill just happened to be standing beside me, and I pulled it out, and he said, "Don't read that. That stuff's destroying Africa." And I went. <laughs> I put a shot, yeah. I barely pulled it out and looked at the cover before I pushed it back in because there's the great man beside me, gruffly saying, let's put, you know, put that away. And I thought, and I thought about it, you know, years later, I thought, well, if it's such bullshit, why did you keep it in your bookshelf, you know? <laughs> um, and so they were two, that, that was, uh, those three moments um, were really important because sometimes. Well, one, with the key line scale of permanence and me overlooking that process because I'm a process person. I really like to, you know, when I design projects and when I establish them and then when I manage them, um, there's an A, B, C, D, E, right, to everything. Um, There's always an order um, to doing things, Um, just like there is in a kitchen. There's there's an order you, you, yeah, anyway, you get it. Um, And then the same with, um, with holistic management, um, missing out on that really vital piece because um, was critical, and it wasn't until 2006, about thereabouts, and me starting to work with um, Abe Collins, um, my good friend in Vermont, a grazier there, who, as far as we know, invented the term um, carbon farming as a as a grazier, and he started the world's first carbon farming. Um, program, uh, the Carbon Farmers of America, in about 2006, we got together, and he was a key liner, and he was also going to holistic management, and had done the full training with Al- under Alan Savory to become a certified ed- educator, and when we got together and started, and he'd also done PDCs in Arizona, and, blow, and left permaculture behind, because he sort of just saw that as kids' work, and holistic management is where the real, real stuff was, and in some ways, he was right and wrong at the same time. Um, the big thing about that really got me with holistic management was the framework of self-determination 
and of, of uh, that you need to actually you need to study yourself and know yourself and have and have all, have all of the others around you within your whole do the same and self acknowledge and so well this is what I want to get out of life through the determination of the quality of life and this is how I'm going to pay for it or how I'm going to provide for it by me knowing who the um, what the forms of production will be and that this is what I really want my what what my life's work to look like which is uh, and how I'm going to behave in my community and what's my reputation you know what's reputation and all that sort of stuff um, through the future resource base and I'm going to identify what my whole under management is which you know in permaculture you might say is in part the um, assessment of your, uh, your site analysis and your assets um, and you're going to look at who are all the decision makers involved and uh, we, I, up to that stage I'd work with a number of intentional communities which were a disaster um, because I hadn't done any of that stuff and, and then our own lives where um, where the absence of that kind of thinking um, for the last 20 years was critical and like it was yeah, it was my first thing when I my first reaction after reading all of that stuff on holistic management um, was it was amazing and in a lot and in a lot of ways was I'd have to say it was more powerful than when I first saw permaculture um, because it was a lot deeper and a lot broader that's interesting um, for me when i and then when i went then when i uh, and then the second thought was why didn't i why did why did i argue with that guy why did i argue with john king in um, <laughs> in, uh, in, my, in that backyard and secondly why did i listen to bill mollison <laughs> because because really um i never it just so happened that I never really saw holistic management again until that until catching up with Abe. It just wasn't in my purview, and I'm really bummed about that because I, I just know how much more effective my work would have been had I done that. And the same was with, and this is the interesting thing, when I got involved with holistic management very soon after I was invited by, and this says a lot about the holistic management movement, period versus the permaculture movement period you know as a general statement um all of the holistic management certified educators in australia got together and they went through an analysis using holistic management frameworks and they they did an analysis where they looked at all of their weak links and they, they looked at their social weak links they looked at their biological weak links their financial weak links and then they delved in a bit deeper and they said um, what are some of our, our weak links in practice? And they said land planning. And uh, so one of them said, oh, well, why don't we get this guy, he's good on Keyline, me, um, to come and Keyline's this great method for land planning, why don't we get him to do a course for us? So, you know, I can't imagine this, you know, I'm not going to mention names, but I can't imagine um, a number of the big name permaculture teachers well a getting together in the same room and acknowledging each other as professionals and b you know having that possibility and b without it being an ego fest and b then then going you know what 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 aren't we what aren't what are not our strengths and and acknowledging that and then getting someone half their age 
um, to then come and spend five days with them to, to help them on building up a, um, a weakness. I can't imagine that um, right now. Um, so that was a and that was a big moment because by this stage I knew who all these people were because you, when you study something you, you immediately gravitate to understanding who the characters are. And so I very quickly understood who all the characters are. And I, I was seriously intimidated by the fact that I had to go and train these heroes of land management in Australia. Once I knew what they'd done in their track record, I'm just going, bloody hell, you know, they make my efforts look like I've been piddling around. I'm, you know, I'm being kind to myself. I'm, I'm being depreciating. But, um, um, but, yeah, so that was pretty... And then I spoke to the guy who was leading, who was the main organiser, and he was a key liner and a holistic manager. And I said to him, well, how do you teach key line? He said, oh, because we were talking about how I was going to do the course. And he said, oh, I use the key line scale of permanence. And it was like someone just hit me in the head with a sledgehammer. I said, are you joking me? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> again, been sitting there all this time. I don't know what the next thing will be, Matt. Um <laughs> There's probably a few things. I'm a bit of a slow learner, perhaps. Um, but I was pretty happy knowing, wow, this is really cool. And so that was that was really, you know, the coming together of all of these methodologies um, and the, the realisation even earlier on than that than um, when I was doing the carbon farming workshops and stuff, I brought together all these, you know, I brought together e-learning and then I brought holistic management Joel Salatin, Elaine and all of these people to develop the carbon farming and then the carbon economy series, which I developed and ran, and Keyline and blah blah blah, and then and and I tried I tried to do this mega course where I had um, forty three days I think it was, and I had Paul, I invited Paul Stamets and nat- the best natural builders and blah 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 so I could get and that was the cut that was the basis to the carbon economy course because I saw this vision of these three and four day intensives and a series of them where a person would come out of that and they'd really um, get a get a stronger skill base. So the when I when I ran that course it was so easy and I really I was talking to someone about it yesterday. The people I taught key line courses to before um, I can see how I failed them in a lot of ways, or how I failed them by not using the the keyline scale of permanence, and then ultimately the agrarians platform in delivering that. Um, because I and I see that in their designs. I was talking to someone here about a, a student of mine in Spain um, last night, and I see that in his designs how it was my. Um, it was the way I taught him that I can now see that in the way that he designs and how there's bits that are missing and really critical bits. And then I now I feel like I've because I've because what I've now got I met this guy who's come to this course who's a student of his, and he's doing the same thing. He's he's carrying the same signatures, design signatures, and I'm looking at that and I'm going oh, bloody hell. You know, and it's it comes straight back up to the top. It comes straight back to me, and so now I've got to write to these people and say, "Well, sorry, <laughs> you're not getting your money back, but sorry, um, maybe we need to touch touch base and have another crack at this because um, there's some critical pieces that 
in my teaching I overlooked um, and that perhaps you need to um, I need we need to have a chat about that so that's just part of being a teacher I think I mean yeah yeah I know you know, and yeah. with the holistic management, when I read Alan Savory's work, I was impressed with the fact that, uh, well, I, 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 I loved all the land management stuff. That was tons of new information. The brittleness, brittleness scale was genius. Yeah. So for me, it was like, oh, yeah, let's scoop this up. Boom. Let's keep going, you know. And, and yeah, when it comes to growth and real teaching, we're always – learning and our teaching is always evolving uh, yeah it is and that's where we've got to now which is interesting like we did 13 rexes last year so the rex was sort of like all right i've done the pdc thing 40 something odd times and half of those by myself um so you know the, taught the whole pdc by myself and got all of that feedback and decided that no nah, i was done with that and had this new platform and so I did some tests. I did a test in the UK in 2011 with the model and then I did another test model, did another test with the Rex in um, 2011, in, sorry, no, 2015 in Australia um, and that was brilliant. Um, it was still one of the best events I've been involved with. They only had 12 or 15 people come but it was amazing. Um, and then um, part of that was because my darling was the, did all the catering and we used all of our clients' foods and it was great. Um, but apart from that, the, the training itself was really good. Um, and then um, the Rexes that we did last year, where we went on to thirteen different properties and, and we had third, and we had as a group of as a as a group of people of participants. Um, um, in which I became, I, 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 in the Rex, I'm a participant and the leader, um, the lead consultant, if you like. And we try and combine both a training and a real consultancy, design consultancy, and go through each layer of the Regrarians platform one by one each day, starting with climate and ending with energy. And um, so it was really powerful. And, um, and as I outcome of that um, I'd have to say that just about everyone looking at my, the back of my darling's shirt now who, which has got the list of them on there and I, I think that just about every one of them um, um, in fact yeah, every one of them now I look at it um, has taken on serious parts of that um, big, and, I, I, and, I re, and I reason with that was because we were so thorough that we gave ourselves the time. One of Lisa's mantras is that there is enough time. And we gave ourselves, I wouldn't say we gave ourselves enough time, but we did give ourselves enough, a, a fair amount of time per topic to really um, tackle those topics. There's still deficiencies in the program though. Um, and, and one of the things that I saw um, was that we weren't spending enough time in the field, that we were spending a bit too much. Well, we were, we are, we do spend within in that program, that 10-day on-site program, that we spend too much time at the desk. And I thought, well, if you're going to be on a farm, well, then you might as well be out in the farm, right, um, and stuff. But the program did not really allow for that. 
Um, it only allowed a, you know, a few moments where we'd go out and actually look at things. Because the rest of it was, and that's the nature of planning, is that you spend a fair bit of time planning at a desk, doing the cerebral stuff. So with that, I thought, well, this when we came back from the tour, it was actually it was about halfway through, I was thinking, gee, I'd, this, this, this training, this, this program would be better being a hybrid, where it would be part on-site, part online. Um, and so we're still we haven't done that yet, but we're planning something around that later this year, I think potentially or next year. Um, but we, but I thought that what about the consultancy? How can we do this so that far, um, that farmers who want a farm plan and we get asked to do farm plans all, all the time. Well, I, I just can't, we're caring for Lisa's mum full time, so I can't we can't travel and tour like we used to um, up until last year. So I had to sort of create a new model, and so the new online Rex, the ten week Rex, is the outcome of that. And but it's more, it's uh, so if the if the on site Rex is sort of fifty fifty training and planning, this one's like more. Um, it's more of a, a planning than a training. And so that's why I'm calling it a program, not a training, um, because we only spend a, a small amount of the, uh, in fact, we spend 20%, yeah, 20, 20% of the week actually doing the training bit on what you would do for the particular tasks each of the 10 weeks. And the rest of it is, is us doing feedback and planning. Um, and the other thing that's different to the other, the old wrecks, as, as you would call it now, is that where um, that the focus is your property and your context, not someone else's, and um, or your project. And so we're, you know, I'm really excited about this. Um, I've sort of run, I haven't run it yet, but I've sort of run it through my mind, and you know, I've developed a lot of training, so. Um, I sort of have a bit of a sense when I develop a training and I, I write it all out how it will roll. And in most cases, they've, well, in fact, in all cases, they've rolled as I've planned because that's the nature of planning. You, uh, you, you, you're, you're building the scenarios and then you're planning what the outcomes will be, and you're, you know, you're answering the questions before they're asked, and you already know what the questions will be before they're asked. Um, so, um, so we've, so with the, with the online. Um, Ten-week online program, uh, farm planning program. Um, yeah, you know, I'm pretty confident will people will be able to, and I think for a very reasonable price. I mean, I'm fifteen hundred dollars a day, or one hundred and fifty bucks an hour. We're going to have. There's no way that you would get the kind of plan that you'll get out of this experience in ten weeks of of involvement with the likes of me and others. There's no way that I could do as as good as that in ten weeks for nine hundred and fifty bucks. No way. So, so I'm really pleased by that because that's the other thing that you know we look at is um, we're trying to get as good a value, and we ultimately we want to see people put the majority of the capital that they've hard earned or otherwise um, into landscape restoration and and um, and re and regeneration we don't want to see it spent on consultants including ourselves um, others will have a different view and a different um, objective but you know the idea of spending the 
if people spent the same amount of time on me that they spent on this Rex, this $950 Rex, they'd probably spend close to $15,000. That's a lot of pipe. That's a dam or a pond. That's some fencing. That, that's some livestock. That's, a, that's something that'll actually get you going. You, know, you're, you're, you start it up. So I'd much rather take 10% of that, less than 10% of that, and um, oh, yeah, seven percent of that, and um, and uh, work with you and a group of others that you are now part of a um, a community, a network with in a in a virtual room, and then um, have you uh, go and um, make decisions about what's where's a good place to leap from. And so yeah, we're very excited about this program and and its broader possibilities for. The way that we even do consultancies in the future. I mean, the more I think about it, I think this is why would I go and do one-on-ones anymore? Why would I? Why would you deny yourself the ability to have access to a community of people to help you with your ex? I mean, with your farm plan. I see that. I see what happens when we do these on-site plans, and we've got a team of people who never knew each other, and they're working in a group of four or five on a farm plan. I mean. I, I do the same, like when I do the recs, I work by myself and I do my presentation about my concepts and I'm a seasoned professional planner and then I see what they produce and they think of things that I don't have the time in the same time to think of or that I haven't thought of because I'm not working in a group. So why would you design deny yourself of that? And so we're, that's, and that's one of the great possibilities of the internet is that it allows us to do things in that way where it was before it just wasn't possible group um, coaching group coaching is the future of the internet it's the only way that we really can break down that digital wall um and simulate um actual social interaction you know so yeah. for people that are like we're talking about pdcs then we're talking about farm planning they i don't know if people know but how many how many farms have you worked on because a lot of the design work we're talking about, you spent years going in and being the farm doctor and going in and fixing problems. So people who are like, well, I've got a farm, I'm not designing a farm. They can take this course and they can take their farm and redesign it or make a bridge or make a, a plan, to, a succession plan. Um, and I mean, that was one of the coolest things and I think that was day three of Permaculture Voices 2 where you went through all all the the highlights of the farms that you've, you've worked on um, yeah well that was, that was I think those ones that you looked at at Permaculture Voices or PV3 um, they were a sample of projects that we'd worked on since we developed the Regrarians platform and I'd worked on a ton of others but I um, as far as I know, I've, I've really, I mean, I used to count, but I've, what's the point now? Um, yeah. I've done well, nice. I've done well over 2000, I've done well, well over 2000 individual plans, um, as to how many of those have had some, some activity out of those plans. Well, um, probably about 50 or 60%, um, whether it's a, you know, it might be as much as a shelter belt that was done or, um, you know something that was enacted as a result of those plans because um, some people don't carry through with plans. That's the way they work. Um, yes, yeah, so, but yeah, I've worked on 
I don't know how many places really. I don't, that's something I've not kept account on, but yeah, I work on every place that I drive by. <laughs> <laughs> Can't help it now. <laughs> well, I mean, I never could. Um, you know, every every landscape you, uh, it's like you can tell a lot. But, uh, lands, landscapes, agricultural landscapes because agriculture as a practice, as an ecological practice, is so powerful, it really says a lot about the person who's managing it. And when you know what to look for, um, you know, it's, it's sort of like the ultimate form of judgment. And, you know, when I grew up with my grandfather, like he would, you know, how, how the, like when he would go to the pub, which he would do most nights, as Australian men would do. He'd go down to the Farmer's Arms, which was a farm thing you know, in the middle of nowhere, was a pub. And uh, he'd go down there and he'd meet with guys that he grew up with and probably had fisticuffs with and all that. And that's where they'd go. They'd go and have a few beers and then they'd go home. And for him, that was the font of... That was his Facebook, right? <laughs> and you... You uh, lived and died there, <laughs> a thousand cuts. Like you'd come in and like one day my cousins and I put a fence in that was perpendicular to the road. Um, so it was at right angles to the road. So when you drove past this fence, if it wasn't perfectly straight, you could see it. And Granddad went out to the road. I think he went to the pub and he saw that we had a couple of posts and they weren't completely, it wasn't straight. And he came down to the paddock and he said, Oh, you got to take out that, that Matt post because they're not straight. I don't want to go down to the pub tonight and be told by all my mates down there that Frank's bloody grand, that Frank's built a bad fence because it's not us building the bad fence, it's him building the bad fence. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> right. And so um, it sort of carries on today that, you know, when I, I, I can go onto anyone's property <clears throat> or go past anyone's property and I can tell how good a how ag, how agri-literate they are how much agricultural literacy they have how much eco, ecological literacy they have and in most cases how much money they've got left or how much money they started with wow because you can, see, you can just see all of the clues because you know you're leaving this residue and that's that and in holistic management that's what's called your future resource base now that might be a shit base or it might be a great base, or it might be a half-good base. You know, but you leave something, and that's the nature of agriculture: is that we are, you, you, you know, we're not, we're not, um, we're not marauding hunter-gatherers. We're not, we're not migratory when we're agriculture. That was when we downed all of that stuff, and we took up property, and we took up, we became sedentary in us in an artificially small range, and started to provide for ourselves, and. There's a residue to that in the landscape and all of the way that we manage that landscape and its components. And so, you know, I, I never stop. Um, Lisa says, you know, I always drive, but she keeps saying I shouldn't because I look out the window too much um, while I'm driving. <laughs> and not the front window, the side windows. <laughs> But anyway, well, um, I appreciate it because one of those drives turned into that photo that turned into that wonderful diagram we created together. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I I see those all the time, and sometimes I pull up. 
I did one years ago on Highway 101, which um, people like Mark Shepherd have used and all sorts of people used. It's this really beautiful key point, um, similar to the one that I shared with you. And um, sometimes it's a bit dangerous to pull up or you're going that fast that <laughs> you go, well, I hope I'll go past that one again at some point. But, yeah, I've been looking at that one. I, I've, I nearly drive off the road every time I drive past that one. Oh, well, don't do that. <laughs> we need you. Yeah, good on you. Well, I'm so excited about this program, and I will take it because I need this next level of education because, I mean, I have led myself up to the ceiling of all the things that are available, and now, I mean, I need to take Lane's soil courses. I need to take your Rex courses. I need to take Peter McCoy's yeah. radical mycology, uh, deep, you know, deeper mycology stuff. And, yeah. you know, I am the permaculture student. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get that. Um, and so I, I that, that stops if you stop being a student and you, and you start to deify yourself. Well, then, you know, it all gets a bit ridiculous, doesn't it? Yeah, and you know, as a teacher, that's the the number one thing that we're taught um, when, in the master's program is that uh, we have to see ourselves um, in the position of the most learning. Uh, we need to see our students and their confusion as the greatest oh. indicator um, of of how our performance. Right? If there's no confusion and they're all getting it and loving it, well, then you're doing a pretty good job. But if your kids are upset and frustrated and confused, well, that's you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that's a good point. Well, a lot of us remember our best teachers, don't we? And unfortunately, it comes down to just a few individuals out of all of those teachers that we've had in our lives because um, because they haven't self-recognized. They've, um, yeah, they forgot, they forgot to be students themselves. Indeed. And I'm so excited that people have an opportunity to learn with you all over the world. And people need to be signing up for these things uh, in droves because yeah. the landscape out there is hurting. <laughs> you know, I want to keep you on the road. And there's, you know, there's so many that it's going to keep distracting you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd like them to be distracting me and inviting me to just but I can't not pull up, but pull up because of uh, how, how outstanding their landscape is. That would be amazing. And unfortunately, that doesn't happen very often, but occasionally it does. And yeah, it's pretty cool. And usually the people are, are doing a great job and they've got a good life and and they're, they're acting out what they sought to act to, to have happen. And that's, that's, that's a great feeling. And it is, a, I mean, um, for us, when we when we get the feedback of um, you know, I love it when I get an email from a client who said I've I've now been able to lose my job because uh, sorry, leave my job because the plan that we work together on um, has allowed me to do that. I mean, that's awesome that they are wow. now able to um, complete because of the because we've been incremental, we've been strategic, and we've been pragmatic. Um, with our planning, we've been realistic that they have been able to get, and that happens. That happens quite regularly, and um, as as an outcome, and um, 
And that, that's fun. I mean, I can't say how amazing that is. Um, and that they're, they're living a life that they seek to live. So, yeah. That's beautiful. We all want that. And I'm excited. I'm excited to have people take your course and to have that realized in their own lives. Yeah, so are we. Um, but uh, um, we're... I mean, we're really excited by the team that we've been able to pull together, and that um, that we're, the other thing that we're really excited about, which I sort of touched on before, I think, is the possibility with this type of training is that you can have multiple people do the training for one fee, so um, it or do the do the program for one fee. So if which is not so easy when you do the, the uh, on-site training because you've got to pay for catering and blah blah blah, and you know. Um, so, so for that nine hundred and fifty dollar fee, it could be a husband and wife, or it could be a you know two spouses and their their their, their farm manager or whomever. So we, I think we've got one people who've um, one lot who've signed up. I think there's five of them in a in a planning, in a management team, and they're paying the same as what some of, as what the individuals are. So, so that's a that's a really good thing, provided it's just on one project. I mean, it'll be clear that if you're trying to be dishonest about that, then um, we can see that very quickly. But um, in, by the way, the program runs. But uh, yeah, that's that's a that's a really good thing to be able to do, because so often what happens with these things is that someone in someone gets to go and what someone has to stay behind and that that has really poor outcomes from our perspective it, it lacks holism um, so yeah we're very excited about that absolutely i've had the pleasure of teaching families through my courses as with grandparents and grandchildren all in the same context and it makes a, a big difference when we allow people to learn as a, in a group, both in you know in our Facebook groups or in our chat groups, um, and in person in, uh, on their feeds. I'm so excited for this. I'm excited to check it out myself. Um, I'm gonna have a link so our listeners can learn more about the program. Darren, thank you so much for taking your time this morning to, to from France to talk to us all the way in California and give us some insight on why we should all be signing up for this course. Thanks, mate. Thanks for the opportunity and for all you do. All right. Smiling. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, that's the thing. It's we got to we got to keep passing that positivity on because man, those kids need it. <laughs> yeah. All right, mate. Well, thanks so much. Good to chat. Yeah, it's always great to chat. Thanks. Thank you for taking the time. Yeah, you too, mate. Sleep well. (laughs) (laughs) All right, will do. That was Darren Doherty from France. That was a long one. Thank you for sticking it out with us. It's a late night here in California in order to reach the morning there in France. So... It was really incredible talking to Darren. Uh, he had such an incredible experience th- throughout his life, um, dealing with regenerative skills from all these different perspectives, all these different disciplines. 
and he's distilled it into this new farming plan format uh, and platform that everyone should check out. If you've got a farm, you absolutely should check this out without question. If you're looking to start farming, if you're looking to work on a farm, you're looking to design farm scale, check this out. There's a reason I teach permaculture skills. There's a reason I teach permaculture gardening. There's a reason I teach best practices in education and entrepreneurship. So those are things I do. Those are things I know. And I recommend higher level learning in permaculture. And that means people like Elaine Ingham, people like Darren Doherty, people like Peter McCoy and Larry Korn and many of the people that joined me in, in helping to edit and revise and make sure the Permaculture Student 2 was at the highest level that it could be. If you guys are interested in that book, there's a limited supply left. We got some more copies, but it's a limited supply. So please go to thepermacultureStudent.com, click on books, click on the Permaculture Student 2 and buy it today and click on the link below and check out Darren's new course. It's absolutely incredible. From Matt Powers, have an abundant week.